Welcome back to Pasture to Pets. This is Jennifer Dowd, Inside Sales and Marketing Representative. And today I have with me Todd Steen, and we are going to discuss alpacas and llamas. So Todd, when I asked you to do this video, I had um, mentioned that it is over llamas and alpacas. And you had mentioned that if I knew the nutrition of a cow, that I would know the nutrition of a llama or alpaca. I'm not too confident in that. So if you wouldn't mind to go over a little bit of nutrition on a llama and alpaca. Well, let's first start with the digestive system. A lot of the, the llamas and alpacas are, are coined as a pseudo-ruminant versus a true ruminant. However, the, the difference is the cow, the true ruminant, the sheep, we've always heard that they've had four stomachs. The camelid or the, the uh, alpaca and the llama, they call them pseudorumus because they only have three stomachs. However, they do have the functioning rumen, very similar to cows and sheep and deer and all the other true ruminant species. So, so when you look at it, there are some differences that they have because of the three stomachs that versus what the, the cow would have with the four stomach, uh, uh compartments. Um, the bottom line through it is, is forage is going to drive the boat here. Good quality forage is going to be very, very important. Now, the llama, then the alpaca being a pseudo ruminant or a three compartment stomach will, uh, th there are some anatomical differences, physiological differences there between the four stomach type ruminant. One right off the bat is their rate of passage is a little bit slower than what you would see with a true, true cow ruminant uh, digestive system. That's a good thing, bad thing. The good thing about it is, is that they are less susceptible to bloats because there's less, there, there is more retention time there. There's less rate of passage to it. And because you've got more retention time there, you get more true total track digestibility through that because of, because it stays in the, in the, in the rumen a little bit longer than what you would see with a cow. So you don't see the bloat type things like you do with a cow. However, they're, because that rate of passage is slower, the downside of that is they can't eat enough or they don't eat as much. I should say it that way. So f overall dry matter intake would be a little bit lower on a metabolic body weight basis compared to the true ruminant. So from that aspect of it, yes, they are ruminant animals. Yes, they do. Uh, yes, they do, uh, take forage and just like the cows, just like all of our cows and sheep do. And that is important. Because that rate of passage is slower than the camelid type species are able to take more of what I will call a browse or even a lower quality forage, more of uh, shrubs and leaves and things like that. They're going to be that you might see them uh, want to try to get a hold of and their digest system can handle that better than some of the other type of ruminant species that you see out there. So there are a little bit of differences, but they're all very similar. The similar thing for us all to be, to be all on the same page about is that the forage is going to be the predominance of the overall dry, the overall diet. So when I'm listening to that, I kind of closely relate this to a goat. Is that more or less in relation? 
Of course, the goat is a true ruminant, meaning the four compartments of the stomach. Uh, goats are, are more browsing type of a, of a species than what you would see with a cow or something along those lines. So it would be similar to that, but, but because of the four compartment of the, uh, of the goat, then their rate of passage would be a little bit more, uh, or a little bit faster than what you would see with a, with the, the llama or the alpaca. So, and you mentioned camelid. Is that just another name for the llama or the alpaca? Well, it's, it's just the overall, uh, a grouping that okay. these are, these are in. Uh, alpacas, llamas are similar in, in their digestive system to camels. So it would be like saying a cow is a bovine. So in this particular instance, they're camelids. Okay. So Todd, in terms of care, this sounds like a lower care animal. Is that correct? Uh, for the most part, it would be correct. They, uh, they're very hardy critters, the llama and the alpaca, very hardy. Uh, probably no need for real intense uh, specific management, just a normal uh, type uh, animal uh, care. Um, uh, cohabitate very well with other animals. I know a lot of folks uh, use llamas uh, for protection against uh, some of the other predators that are out there. I know of some people that do it with uh, the alpaca, uh, just be mindful that the llama is a much bigger animal. And uh, if you do have coyote issues and uh, you've got the alpaca there, I, I would use caution there uh, because of it being a smaller, a smaller animal. The llama, of course, obviously being more of a dominant, uh, more of a dominant animal than the, than what the alpaca is. But uh, uh, having them in with other species of animals are good. I do get a lot of call, or some calls uh, regarding cohabitating llamas and alpacas. And I always tell everybody to use a little caution there because obviously the llama bigger uh, is more of a dominant animal. Uh, so there could be a little fighting going on there and the alpaca probably loses <laughs> because of the size difference there. So I, I would, without some training there, uh, training of the animal, uh, I, I would I would uh, probably not want to recommend that having them together like that. But with some other species and things like that, it seems to work out work out okay. Especially if you've got a good pasture and got plenty of grass, plenty of plenty of forage for them. They generally are pretty easy to maintain. Um, so I know a lot of people when asked about llamas and alpacas, the wool is a concern. Is that something that they should shear off or is that something that can just be left alone? Well, particularly with our summers, <laughs> uh, heat stress, uh, obviously is big with them. And we know that, uh, we know that the species, uh, from a stress perspective does cause some, some issues with them. So, uh, trying to eliminate heat stress, uh, would be, Certainly, uh, 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 foremost on your mind with our climate, uh, you know, with the hot, humid days in the summer that we have, you would probably want to make sure that they were uh, clipped, at least clipped or preferably would be sheared. Uh, and I know a lot of folks, uh, raise, uh, their llamas. I'm sorry, their alpacas for, for the fleece. And, uh, so that obviously would be a time to, you know, when you would make sure you'd want to, want to harvest it. 
for sure, for sure. And in terms of diseases or anything um, health-wise, is there anything that, you know, those that want to raise llamas and alpacas should be concerned about when, when purchasing? I would look at, I, I would start really with the feeding programs. Um, the, the, the species, as we had already talked about, is a three-compartment ruminant animal. The those type of ruminant animals are pretty sensitive to, uh, to uh, the specific carbohydrates, specifically non-structural carbohydrates. So supplementing a lot of grain uh, or or a higher percentage of grain is probably not a good thing. The the four compartment animal ruminant. Uh, will have a lower glucose type uh, energy uh, uh, maintenance type uh, uh, for their energy requirements, whereas the llama would be rely more on glucose, which would be more in tune to way monogastrics and, and things are. So the more starches and sugars that are supplemented with the diet, the more increase that you get with glucose. So the potential for insulin resistance and lack of sensitivity is, is very great with them. So maintaining the good forage program and when you do supplement, because there's going to be times where our forages, and we have to be honest with it, that our forages may not supply all of their requirements. So we may have to supplement a little and when we do that, we want to try to avoid a lot of the starches and a lot of, lot of the sugars. So having a camelid type species and supplementing with a, you know, some real high end, pretty sweet textured horse feed that has a lots of grain and lots of molasses is probably not the way that you would want to supplement them. You would want to have something a little bit more gentle there. That also uh, can, in tune, cause a lot of stress with them as well. Another thing that I suggest to a lot of people is the way that they actually eat their and consume their, their concentrate supplements. Uh, they have a tendency to eat very fast. Now, although... You know, they do have molars in the back. Uh, uh, anatomically, they have that. A lot of times they swallow it whole. And when they go in and bolt real hard, uh, the, the tendency or the pre it predisposes them to choke. So you don't want to put a lot of feet out there and let them go to town on it. So a lot of times you'll want to try to slow that down. A lot of people will put rocks and stuff in their feed bowls to make them go around it. One of the, uh, one of the uh, nice characteristics of the camelid is their, is their lips. They are able to utilize their lips for grasping. They call it prehensile, that they're able to grasp with their lips. So if you put something as a rock or something in there to slow their consumption down, then they have the lips that can reach around and pick that up. So it, it kind of works out and it kind of helps slow down their consumption. So you don't really want to feed them a whole lot. If you get to the point because of uh, uh, forage availability being poor and we have to rely on a lot of, uh, a lot of feed, we would want that to be more of a fibrous type feed and, and, and really try to stay away from the starches and the sugars. Interesting. Interesting. So Todd, I think we hit all the main points, but is there any fun facts that you would like to add to that? 
Uh, watch they spit. <laughs> Actually, that's that's kind of a little bit of a. I, I don't know that they directly spit on humans or anything like that, but they do have a tendency to. Is one more aggressive than the other? Llama versus the alpaca. I think the llama is probably a little more aggressive than the alpaca is. Um, a lot of times they do that. That's a defense mechanism, and they're you know they they part of their behavior. But I don't know that they just walk up to you when you're admiring them out there, and they just walk up to you and spit on you. I don't know that they do that, but uh, but uh, that is uh, that is one of the characteristics. The other, and of course, we remember that they are very similar to camels in their digestive system and how we handle that. One thing that I, I would use caution um, about in some of the brows that may be available, try to avoid acorns, try to avoid cherries and all that. that of course, we know that with cattle that we want to try to avoid those things, but they are toxic to uh, the camelid animal. So we want to be careful and keep that away. One other thing, even though we're talking about them being ruminant animals, uh, there are certain feeds that we do feed ruminant animals that are medicated, uh, such as uh, the ionophore classes of uh, of antibiotics, uh, monensin and losalicid, those type drugs. Uh, that is, you don't do not want to offer that to a camelid, even though there is a rumen there, which would be very similar to the cow. But you want to stay away from that. You want to avoid those those drugs. Um, uh, copper is another thing that we want to be watching. There are requirements for copper with the, the animals. However, uh, we don't want to go, they are not cows. So we don't really want to feed them a tremendous amount of that. So offering a free choice mineral of something that has a high copper level is probably not a good thing. Um, I'm not going to suggest to you that they are exactly sensitive to copper as well as some of the small ruminants such as sheep. Uh, but there is a, a problem that we don't want to over supplement copper. So there are a few cautions that I would throw out there from a feeding slash managerial type situation. If you do see them out there eating leaves or something like that, shrubs, that's, that's natural, but we would probably want to prevent them from eating some of them. Some of the stuff, a lot of the horse nettle and stuff like that, we'd want to keep them away from those those weeds and things like that. Treats, a lot of people want to give them treats, and it's completely fine. Uh, remember now, they they do have teeth, and they can chew, uh, but they'll want to swallow it. And so, like, if you give them a good apple, uh, I would cut it up and, you know, cut it up real good so you don't predispose them to choke. Carrots, things like that. Uh, are, are really good. I'd stay away from tomatoes, stay away from broccoli. They're not real good with, they're not real good with that. So I would stay away from that, but it's completely okay to give them, you know, give them some treats and some fruit. That's very good for them. We always love that. So in terms of feeding ration, I know we offer a llama feed. Is there anything that you'd like to touch on that? It's a, uh, what I would call a, uh, more of a, more of a concentrate supplement because we want, we want the animal to consume as much forage as possible. So it's a very low inclusion rate, you know, anywhere between a half to one, one pound. And, uh, a lot of the grasses and things that we typically offer them are of low protein. So if we're trying to shoot, depending on the, uh, depending on the, the stage of uh, production of the animal, 
and what the requirements are, somewhere between a 12 and 14% total diet uh, type of a product. So, so the, our, our uh, feed is a, it's an 18 protein. But if you're only going to feed about a half a pound or three quarters of a pound or no more than really one pound, then uh, uh, to matching that with relatively low protein forages is about where you kind of really kind of want to be. We want to try to avoid high, high inclusion type products. I realize in the times of uh, low forage availability that that may not be the case. But, but if that is the case, we would want to feed them something different to go along with this. So under normalcy, we would only be feeding a small amount, half to no more than a pound. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Pasture to Pets. If you're looking for a low-maintenance animal to put out in the pasture and maybe add some protection to your herd, I would consider a llama or alpaca. And we appreciate Todd Steen going more in-depth on nutrition and care of those animals. Stay tuned for our next episode next month for Pasture to Pets. Mm-hmm.